0: You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the House of Literature, while these three find people to discuss where they're going to sit, let me uh, bid you all welcome. Uh, And say that I'm really happy to see you all here. My name is Andreas, I'm the artistic director at The House of Literature, and it's my honor to introduce tonight's panel. Um, Not on today's panel, though, so that was a a slight... uh, But Ingmar Bergman was born in 1918 and died in 2007. He is without a doubt one of the most important and influential artists of the 20th century, And last year, his centenary was marked throughout the world. With films like Autumn Sonata, Persona, Cries and Whispers, not to mention Fanny and Alexander, his importance within cinema is unquestionable. Many also know about his prolific work as uh, a theater director. Uh, But one aspect of his work, I believe, is less known to the greater public, and that is his work as a writer, which is the starting point for tonight's conversation. Between 1991 and 1996, Bergman published three novels, Den Gode Viljen, in English, The Best Intentions, uh, Søndags Barn, Sunday's Child, and Trulia Samtale, Private Confessions. Today, uh, sometimes referred to as the Novel Trilogy, or even with the even more ambiguous title, The Bergman Family Trilogy. And this week, launched in a Norwegian edition by no- Forlage Press, with an introduction by uh, Daniel Mendelssohn. It's a very nice looking book as well, which you can get afterwards, of course. Uh, we are really excited and honored to have Daniel Mendelssohn here with us tonight for what I believe is his fifth visit to the of literature. Uh, Mendelssohn is a professor of antiquity at Bard College and a writer of memoirs, essays, and literary criticism, amongst other things. His most recent book is the memoir, and Odyssey, A Father, A Son, and an Epic. Mendelssohn is joined today on stage by our own Lynn Ulman, who in fact interviewed uh, Professor Mendelssohn the, when he was here for the first time ten years ago. Ulman uh, is the author of several novels, and her most recent book in English entitled Unquiet, a Novel, has just been launched in the US. In this book, not only her own father, Ingmar Bergman, uh, but also the novel trilogy is featured in ways that I think will inform tonight's intriguing conversation, where we also hope that the participants will draw on their own writing as they discuss in My Bergman as a writer. And as we enter this terrain of living and writing, I think we could have no better moderator than Anne Farsetås. She's the cultural editor of Mornbladet and the author of the book Grenseverdier, Sonnet or og Metode, so something like Limits on Truth and Literature, or something like that in English. Uh, which includes interviews uh, with some of the most influential writers of today who in various ways move between fiction and non-fiction, real lives and literature. In fact, the closing essay of our book is set at Fore, the island where Bergman lived, and contains a reading of Lynn Ullmann's book. So please welcome Daniel Mendelssohn, Lynn Ullmann and Anne Farstos.
0: Thank you for that lovely introduction Andreas thank you for being here uh, Daniel and Lyn it's great company to explore this book and much more regarding Bergman and your own writing um, but as Andreas said uh, I think although loads of People know Bergman's films, I think, his writing, and these three novels are not as well known. And I don't think we should assume that we, we all in this room have read them. Um, and so it's just great that we have uh, Daniel here, who has written the introduction. And who is, of course, you're not just a critic of literature, but also of movies and of television. And you're a classicist, and with that knowledge of ancient drama, perhaps an interest in modern drama, is also to be expected. Um, Yet it's not completely obvious that you are the one to introduce Bergman to Norwegian (coughs) readers. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about these three novels and your your own relationship to Bergman.
2: Well, I... uh I, it was suggested to me last fall to write the introduction to the novels, and I, I must say, I, I, it wasn't clear to me that I was the best person to introduce uh, <laughs> these novels to a Norwegian audience, or indeed any audience. Um, I mean, as a as a uh, film critic, I obviously, uh, to some extent, have uh, studied Bergman's films, but I, I didn't think I was a particular expert. And when... Um, uh, my publisher here suggested that I write the introduction. I was intrigued less because of Bergman, the filmmaker, but the idea of uh, autobiographical novels was obviously intriguing to me because, uh, like Lynn and like you, I'm very interested in the boundaries between fiction and autobiography. And so I said, sure, I'll have a look. And, you know, I must say, I originally took it on because I love my publisher and I love Lynn, and I thought, okay, you know. And then I thought, my God, I hope they're good, you know. uh, And and in fact, they're wonderful. Um, But these are three, okay, so these are three novels that are essentially, uh, and Bergman is very explicit about the uh, factual basis of these three books the first is by far the longer uh uh, best intentions and it is essentially about how uh his parents uh came together and part of the idea of the title is that uh, everyone in this novel is essentially motivated by good or at least understandable intentions but the marriage turns out to be a disaster um and uh It's, I think, a very bold and difficult thing. We've both done this, you know, uh, to imagine the lives of your parents before you existed. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. I think it's hard for anybody, but as a writer, you have a terrible burden of responsibility. I think it's an unbelievably powerful novel about a great subject for novelists, which is mistakes in life that... That as he keeps using this this phrase this, this disastrous mistake that is made essentially by his mother um, uh, who in the uh, in the novel is called Anna Ockerblum, uh, who comes from a family if you 've seen Fanny and Alexander rather like this boisterous high bourgeois pleasure loving family with a lot of humor and joy and love, who marries this rather dour Lutheran pastor, the father, who's called Hendrik in the novel. And that's essentially the novel. It's, It's long, it's quite dense, and it does a fearless job, I think, of thinking about what motivated these people to come together. And they aren't always the motivations that one has as a child, imagining your parents' courtship. Um, and then the second novel, Sun- Sunday's Children, uh, is a quite. So the other two novels are quite short and very elegant little novels. The second one Im- is now the marriage has taken place, and the child, whom one irresistibly imagines to be Bergman himself, as a young child, is sort of beginning to perceive that there are very serious problems in the marriage, and there's sort of the plot, in as much as there is a plot, is the father of whom he's terrified. Uh, and if you have seen Fanny and Alexander, the terrible—is uh, he a bishop? In the, uh, it, it is clearly this person. You know, you will recognize him instantly. Invites the son or commands the son to come along. He's going to preach in some town, uh, some distance away, and the son is dreading this, and he fantasizes in an extraordinary passage about killing the father and torturing him, and, and he ends up going with him. And that's the book, but it, it, it's a wonderful... I kept thinking of Henry James when I read this novel, mm. the way that children understand almost the way that animals do intuitively, that there's something in the atmosphere that isn't right. And the third novel, which is just an extraordinary piece of work, Um, called uh, Private... What's the English title? Private conversation. Confessions. Confessions, sorry. Um, That's Luther's term, conversations, private conversation. I'm not a theologian by a long (laughs) shot. Again returns irresistibly to the mother, who I think is just really one of the great characters in contemporary literature, I'm going to just say it, where he reimagines her at various periods... In her life, uh, six episodes uh, in which the mother interacts with a different person, her pastor, who turns out to have a huge influence on her. That's the first and the last conversation. The lover, the husband, whom we know by now, the lover with whom she has an affair, a younger man, and... It's like looking at a character through a prism. You see different aspects of her as she thinks about the catastrophic, the life catastrophe, that's the phrase, hmm. the life catastrophe that she has embraced through this terrible decision to marry the guy that she married. Um, And that basically is... And what's brilliant among the many things about the final novel is the six episodes are not in chronological order, which adds an entirely different uh, dimension because you see her making decisions out of order, and it gives you a kind of strange enhanced, I thought, an enhanced appreciation of her motivations. Uh, And in fact, the last uh, confession is the earliest chronologically when she's a a girl about to be confirmed. And you see in this climactic moment, I think, the decision that she makes as a young girl, which basically tells you what the rest of her life is going to be like, what her motivations are. So that, in a nutshell, and a very small nutshell, is what the books are. But what they are is successful novels. You know, they really have something to say. And one of the most interesting things about them, and then I'll stop talking, <laughs> is um, it, it, he does this, as it were, theatrical thing from time to time of breaking the fourth wall, where he he addresses the reader. He sort of talks explicitly about the decisions he's making as a writer in the book. So it adds this whole other dimension. It's very unusual and often very successful. Um, So I will say in closing that I think there's two characters in these books. The mother and the mother's mother who is one of the great realists of contemporary literature. You know, she is that old lady in Fanny and Alexander and she's very worldly wise and she sees her daughter going to be making this terrible mistake and she can't talk her out of it. And it's a kind of... Terrible thing to watch, because she under she's the only person in these novels who can see clearly, and nobody listens to her. You know,
0: and of course, this life catastrophe that her daughter commits is the reason why uh, Ingmar is, or the protagonist or the narrator is even born. Of course, of course. Uh, but you talk when you talk about this, it sounds quite scenic somewhat theatrical as well and there are elements of drama there is it possible to say something about what characterizes Bergman as a writer as opposed to what characterizes him as a filmmaker? Lynn? Uh,
3: Well I think that he I think he was in so many ways a writer and had the mind of a writer and that everything for him started with language and even the physical um, action of writing was, was something that he talked about and thought about. Uh, it was the last thing he did before, almost before he died. I mean, he was no longer writing in his workbooks or his you know, diaries. Or I mean, he always wrote by hand. But he was still writing on um, furniture and the walls. And the walls on his shoes. So writing to him was was a a sensual thing um, and a a, a physical thing and something that he also was uh, scared of. He had an ambivalent relationship to the writing room, to the solitude that came with writing. Uh, He had an ambivalent relationship to himself as a writer um, because, I mean, sometimes he would say, oh, my writing is just a partiture. I mean, it will be something else. It's just the notes. But that's, I don't, I don't think and that, that's really the way he, he felt about it. But he was terrified of the blank page. Mm. Um, <laughs> and for me as a writer, I mean, I think that some of the things that he writes about writing... In the novels. And I think that's what makes the novels important yes. to me, both as a, as a daughter, a writer, um, and someone who relates to him. I mean, that he... So many times he questions and, uh, about what he's writing about and, you know, the ghosts in the room and saying, but you know, he says one place, I, I hear them saying, oh, this was not the way it was. This is not right. So that whole, uh, you know, discussion and about, you know, what's real, what's imagined, what's remembered, what's forgotten, is right there in his in his writing, and it's what he bases everything on. I mean, the writing is the basis for all his films and his theater productions and everything. I mean, it's his. Um, and but what I'm thinking a lot about as a writer myself, and also as a daughter, is you know seeing how scared he was, how scared that he wouldn't be able to do it. Because once he was in the studio, once he was there with his arbettskamrater, um, <coughs> he loved, that was his favorite word, it means colleagues. Once mm. he was there with his colleagues, his comrades, See, he, was, he knew that he would be able to, to go through. He knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. Because everybody else knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, he did not... He, he, the ship was very ordered. It was no sort of, let's sit down and improvise and figure out what's ha- I mean, it was not jazz. It was very, you know, everything. Everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone was punctual. They came at time, you know. And everyone had fun and played and did their job within that, that uh, structure. But the writing room didn't have any of that uh, didn't have his colleagues, didn't have, it just had the ghosts telling him that maybe this was wrong, maybe this is not good enough, maybe this, and the language was, you know, he writes about that too, would sort of, you know, go into spin and and not Mm. be anything. Mm. Uh,
2: But it's interesting because as, as I see, you know, it's sort of mortifying to be talking about this Person when his daughter is sitting right next to me. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you what I think it's about.
3: Um,
2: But there is uh, what I perceived is that because he talks about this in the Magic Lantern, these two forces in the life, which one could say are each each is symbolized by one of the parents, and one is this incredible rigor and control and discipline, which is the father. And he, uh, as I recall, in the Magic Lantern, he says, "You know, I hate." It's very funny. It says, I hate drama. I don't like all this emotional excitement. I want it just to be business, business, business. And yet, on the other hand, there's this sort of chaotic um, life messiness, which can be joyful or can just be mess. Uh, and it's interesting to hear you say that because I think the the control that he could enjoy in the studio or the or the uh, order it satisfies one aspect of him and the writing is as we all know as writers is more scary Mm. you know there's no structure you're just in a you're locked in a room with yourself and I was interested because I think that uh, as I see it just as a reader of the novels, let's say, you know, you see him constantly recurring to this kind of primal conflict between the structure and the rigor on the one hand and the playfulness and the scariness of no control at all on the other hand. And I think, to some extent, that's what the parents seem to represent. And yet it's ironic that the, the... controlling quality of the father is what allows him, in a certain sense, to make the art. So there's a kind of irony to that. But I was very struck by that. Um, so it's interesting also to hear that he was so afraid. But its I don't think it's present in the writing for the most part. I think it's very... Uh, you know, there's some p- points where you feel like, as I tell my students, he's clearing his throat or he's Working himself up to do something, but it it comes across as very confident. I th- I mm-hmm. thought quite often. Yes,
3: but I think that it's in the in the parts in the the cracks in the in the vulnerability and the mm. wondering. Mm. Also about the parent, you know, because he does write about his parents, and I mean, he writes one place. Uh, I look at them and I. Um, how to translate this into English. It is a very odd experience talking about a Swedish writer and <laughs> a Norwegian audience in English. <laughs> Which
2: has to speak English and because he's, there's one person he, in the room who doesn't speak English. I
3: more. mean, he is a character in my m- book, and I struggled to make him speak English because hmm. English and Swedish... and for the and translation. Norwegian, for yeah. the translation, yeah. I... Sp- <coughs> Struggled together with my translator, who struggled with me. But anyway, um, he said. I mean, he says he looks at his parents as these two faces averted, and these mythological characters that he can never reach. And I think that's what the 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 wondering, the 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 never-ending wondering. I think is what makes also these books novels. Because he's yeah. not come to a place where he, he, he says, well, I figured it out. This was my mother's story. This was my father's story. And so that's my story. So I figured it all out. I mean, he's constantly reinventing them, reimagining them, putting them into different points of the stage, yeah. never center stage, um, because everyone knows what goes on on center stage, but f- finding other places to put them, and this is where obviously his his work as a fi- um, a film a director and a theater mm. person, because he will think, and this goes back to your question mm. about you know how he thinks in in images, mm. but it's not only images, but also in perspective, and that it just never, if you put someone here, it will be one story; if you put someone here, it will be that. St- another story mm. and that's also what makes the wondering is what makes these not um these books and i think other books written in that wonderment in that sort of desperate wonderment um makes them you know c- 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 possible novels or mm. not classic uh, memoirs mm. because there's t- you know they're yep. cracked they're broken in some way and that's um, so I'm thinking also that the lack of confidence is what, or the, the, uh, is what makes, makes the writing interesting to me.
2: Well, I would say, I mean, I would just think of it, it's the lack of, of certainty. Mm-hmm. Certainty,
3: yes. Yeah. And I think he put mm-hmm. a lot of himself into the writing of his parents. Um, because he had, uh, he could look at his own experience to try to understand them, um, and I don't think it was necessarily that, that that it's so clear that this marriage was a mistake. I think it was more, it broke, and you know, once something breaks, that's when I think he would think it was interesting to write about mm. it. Mm course.
2: That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Mm. And of course, you've written a novel about people who are married, but who also behave like children. <laughs> uh, which novel are you talking, Talk, talking about? about <laughs> unquiet. <laughs> oh. Unquiet. Um, and your novel even has loads of references to your father's novels, even yes. there's a li- list of literature where these novels are listed. Yes, absolutely. Um, in what way was your own novel inspired by, by his writing?
3: Well, a lot. I mean, th- he was one of the. Well, obviously, he is, he is the basis. F- I mean, he is the, the basis for the character. Um, The father in the book. I mean, it's it's he is, but it's one version of him, and it's him as a very very old man. Um, So it started out as a documentary project, my novel, and it 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 grew uh, into into a something that I had because I realized because at the end of his life he was losing his memory, he wanted to write about that. Because he was always curious about the what he was experiencing, whether it was, you know, fear, anxiety, uh, you know, affairs, love, children. He was always, you know, what's going on in my, you know, what can I write about this? So now I, I'm getting old. I'm getting really old, and I'm starting to forget things. Mm. Is what he's saying. And he wants to write about that. He wants to write about from inside of aging. But he's too old to do it. He has no, That's one of the, the symptoms of, of age is that he's not, he doesn't have the energy mm-hmm. to write. So we have this idea. We're going to write it together. Yeah. And that's the, 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 the sort of foundation. And that was a project that broke because once we got started... Um, we spent so much time planning the thing that once we got started, he was really old. I mean, it was just a few months until he was dying, uh, until he was dead. And so he was sort of in the process of dying while I was interviewing him. And his memory was really then gone into, I mean, what we were experiencing were not Bergman-ish controlled sittings where where the script was written which was the, what, my memory from my childhood, because you know the, the, everything was directed, and every, there was there mm-hmm. were no surprises with him really. When I was a child, now when his memory was gone and he was he was sort of in the mid, middle between life and death, he had gone from Bergman into you know Bergman play into a sort of Strindberg's The Dream Play, where <laughs> where everything was open, everything is possible, um, dream and reality. G- go hand in hand and so it was certainly not the taped conversations that we had both foreseen or even hoped and it planned it
0: started out as nonfiction. then
3: it started out as yeah. a nonfiction fiction book yeah. that was the idea about aging i was going to interview him about you know growing yeah. old and that's not exactly what we got and then then many years later i i you know i retrieved the tapes and I listened to them and out of that that room where, that Strinbergian room where dream and um, reality and memory and forgetfulness sort of go hand in hand, I thought well that's maybe where I need to write this book to honor mm-hmm. that that period mm. where we had these last conversations. Mm. So uh, now I forgot your question, but yeah. to,
0: yes... No, there are so many
3: questions here. But, but to... <laughs> Whether you how
0: were inspired by, but his, of course, uh, by his novels, but, well, of not course, just by I mean, him
3: as a person, but by his well, writing. Well, of course, I then I turn to not only him, but I, also him, because the book is uh, my book. I mean, I, I read so many books about fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and daughters and fathers and mourning and death and forgetfulness and memory, but also him. And I f- found um, in his three, in the trilogy, I found, God, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm four, I started this book when I was 48 years old, the same age that he was when I was born. And, now, and there's, I have this picture of him where he's sitting stooped over looking at a picture of his parents, and now I'm sitting sort of stooped over looking at pictures of mm-hmm. my parents, and I can't figure them out. He couldn't figure his parents out. And, and, and that, to me, was, was a good place to, to write. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. But in a way, what you're describing, it seems to me, is that the same productive confusion that you were referring to in your father or the fear or the not being in control led you to your book that is it's it starts with trying to imagine facts so to speak whatever that means but at a certain point has to take a leap into some other kind of imagination. And your father did it with his parents, and you're doing it with.
3: And how about you?
2: With your then parents. And you wrote about your father. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I do. Was it? I do.
3: That leap. Because I, there is a leap
0: there. There Even is though a you leap. Don't leap into the novel. There's a leap from. Well, yes, because to figure as soon out as you. Through.
2: There are points in my book where I have to imagine. My parents' marriage. Um, so again, you know, we're all in the same boat to a certain extent. Um, but I, I feel, you know, that I am limited to a kind of speculation. You know, I think I know what my parents' marriage was about. Only my parents knew what their marriage is about, and one of them is dead, so. It can never be known. Um, but to me, it's an endlessly... I, I feel somewhat constrained, and this is just because the writer, the kind of writer I am, I, I was very hung up on this issue. You know this better than most people because we talked about it when we talked about The Lost, that there were certain kinds of things I didn't feel it was ethically appropriate for me to try to... Fictionalize the kinds of suffering that these people oh. went through. And I guess I've always been haunted by that. Like, what are you allowed to imagine? There's an, a mm, most amazing passage in The Best Intentions where the novelist is imagining the moment where his mother loses her virginity. Mm-hmm. You know it's hard enough to think about your parents <laughs> in any way, but as we all know, thinking of the sex lives of your parents is just blows all of your circuits. Mm-hmm. And yet I thought it was kind of fearless what he did, yeah, what he did in that. So I think, look, I think every writer has her uh, points of no return, and it's different. I don't think there's a blanket rule about what you can imagine what you can. you know, I think it differs from person. To person, but there's no question. Any book that, any nonfiction memoiristic narrative that pretends that it is giving you just the known facts is preposterous. You know, every sentence. It's
0: a bad work of literature.
2: Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) right, every every sentence is a kind of reimagination of what happened. You know, everything is fictionalized. And as I always like to point out to my writing students, what you leave out is fictionalizing to a mm. certain... You know, you just the choices that you make and that's, what part of the story you're going to tell, fictionalize it because it's not telling everything, right? So mm-hmm. these are and such interesting...
3: And that's what writing is. Yeah. I mean, writing is giving... I mean, form is everything. I mean, I don't really care about sort of the, the labels. Right. I, I I actually don't care, you know, if some... Because to me... A novel doesn't necessarily mean, or even fiction. Oh, it's all made up. Yeah. Like once upon a time, um, you know, and then it's just invented or completely made up. I think um, he. What's interesting to me about if we go back to Bergman is, I mean, it, he, I think these novels that he wrote differ from his autobiography because he he did also write an autobiography yes. called uh, the magic lantern magic lantern. In English. magic lantern is so much more thick I mean it's so much more made up <laughs> and sort of uh, stories and and kind of snappy um, so in that you know you know if you're gonna talk about fiction in, in that sense, I mean, that to me is much more fiction uh, mm. and the novels are much, more, are much more truthful. And I mean, every novelist, good novelist, has always said something yeah. that, you know, to write the truth, I have to go via fiction or I have to, you know, I have to go via the imagination. I mm. can't.
0: Yet the Magic Lanterns has all of these same propositions to the reader about this is This is my imagination. Of course, I'm inventing this. Of course, Uh, it's the same kind of
3: openness about uncertainty. Uh, It doesn't. he he doesn't doesn't break the contract with the reader, but it's. It is a little more snappy. I mean, these go deeper and are more sort of. Are more curious and more uncertain about. Mm. um, I mean, he's out on out out of his depths. Yeah, which. I think is a good place to be. <laughs> and I tell my writing students, I mean, that's where you have to be. You right. have yeah. to be sort of out of your depth to write, yeah. to write a book.
2: Well, to some extent, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, what matters is the ability to tell a good story. Whether the story happens to be factually true, whatever that means, or completely invented is a secondary consideration. What people want... Is to have a good story. Yeah. And some stories are truer than others, or more factual than others, or some stories that are based on fact are exaggerated in certain ways. But that's all that matters, you know. Nobody, If you, if you wrote a book that only had facts in it, it would be the telephone book, you know, yeah. and nobody wants to read that, right? So I think that's what we're really interested in, is I would say what counts is narrative. And the the percentage of facts in the narrative is totally immaterial, except that the only, you know, <laughs> it's interesting, because I could also look at this as a classicist, so mm-hmm. when you look at the history of literature taking a very long, the difference between fact and fiction was completely immaterial. Yes, The ancient Greeks wrote biographies of famous writers and Alexander the Great, and, the king of per- nobody expected it to be true. <laughs> what you wanted, or Plutarch's lives, right? You wanted a story that was somehow illustrative mm. of the truth about that person's life. If the actual incidents, like the magic lantern, happened to be invented, it doesn't matter because it's all giving us a picture of who that person was. So this whole fiction, nonfiction thing, it's, it's related it's a to the novel and uh, recent in the history of literature, and who yeah. does it matter to? It matters, no offense, to the bookstore. Mm. The bookstore has to know where to put the book, fiction or <laughs> nonfiction. <laughs> but you know. does
0: it also not matter a little bit to the reader, since you write nonfiction books, uh, and we know that if your books were found to have like deep factual mistakes, for example, about a serious issue like the Holocaust and the Second World War, right. that would make your books less believable and your believability as, uh, mm. as a writer and well, as a narrator right, would s- suffer.
2: Right, to some extent we're yeah. being disingenuous because there is a contract with the reader. Of yeah. course. You know, to su- so it's not totally free. Although it's very interesting you mention that because I was just r- on Twitter Biggest waste of time in history, and I <laughs> and I and I was reading a tweet by the Auschwitz Museum, and there's a novel. I can't re- uh, luckily I can't remember what the name is, but and they were tweeting saying we don't recommend that you read this novel because it misrepresents mm. the truth about Auschwitz. I thought. That's interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Because that's right in our territory here. Yeah. I don't even know how to parse. I don't know what to make of that, mm. you know. But it's well, it's coming from the several other stories angle. Stories like that. But it wasn't that it was. It's not one of these crazy made up, you know. No, but no, it's, just it's just that it was getting things wrong,
3: mm, right? right?
2: And so, what does that mean when the novel, which advertises itself as a novel, it's not. Mm.
0: As a is course. criticized
2: yeah. because it's not factual enough,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right?
2: So clearly there are other factors at work But it here. is.
3: I think also when you are writing a novel, it's not the same as saying, oh, I, I can get anything I need, uh, you know, anything I want wrong. It doesn't really matter. Um, I felt, I mean, when writing an autobiographical novel, mm. and I think that, this also goes for these three novels. Yeah, because I know that um, my father, and I mean, he writes about it in his workbooks. I mean, he did lots of research. I mean, he really studied. He really wanted to get at the truth. So it's not that you say it's a novel and then, oh, it's not, it's not really, you know, doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it matters a lot, it and matters. it's just trying to yeah. uh, to understand this process of, yes, I understand that I'm reimagining and that I have to use my imagination to try to understand this and my memory um, at the same time. But I really do want to get it right. It's not, you know, I'll just sort of make something up or it's not so... I was... Um, I was adamant about getting stuff right, the facts right, but
0: and you do have them right because I've been there. <laughs> I oh, checked out I, a few of the facts in your book, and they are actually right.
3: <laughs> well, thank you, yeah. I guess. But I would, I would, I would ask. But for then somebody else, book. sorry, somebody else yeah. might say, mm. who's in the story? Of course, of might course. say, no, that's not how I remember it. Of course, it. you know. Sorry. No, I yeah. was going
2: to say but Which... for whom is it important that you get it right? For you. But if From I me... am a reader and I don't know anything. You see what I mean? It's uh, I don't know the answer to this question, but I think it's interesting to think about like who who's to say you can't make everything up. I think that's
3: your th- No, you you can't, but it has to be truthful. I mean, you'd know it when it's music. If, a, if I would start singing here on stage now, it would be th- a very dishonest, unpleasant experience for everyone, because there is no there's, I can't sing. You know you know it when somebody sings mm. false. And you know it when somebody sings truth, mm. when somebody, you know, if you have a musical air, air. Nobody isn't it says, oh, for an is artist this song? to sing
0: beautifully enough to make you feel not that it's true. Hmm? Uh, isn't it possible for an artist to it's sing beautiful enough to well make it's you feel? I don't think it's a matter, I
3: don't think it's really uh, a question of beauty. There are a lot of singers who can, or artists who can do beautiful things, but they're not necessarily true. And you will know, having writing students, I mean, st- uh, students will share their. A text and an inexperienced student and then you might say something this doesn't feel quite
1: mm. true
3: to me this doesn't feel honest no it happened exactly like that this is exactly what happened is is could be a response well go at it again and 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 maybe you need to take the leap i think you did the very had a good word there i mean it, it needs to be a leap because writing down just Exactly how it happened is not always the way of. of and beauty doesn't really have anything mm. to do with it. Mm. it beauty, is, I, I don't think. I don't think. It's necessarily. A, it's or, a really. Fa-
2: no, I'm just fascinated by the question. I don't have an answer, but the more I think about it, the more complicated.
3: Yes, it's very. <laughs> no,
2: I'm serious. It does. We've had I, a big I,
3: debate I, about it here in Norway. Yeah.
2: Well, I can imagine, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
3: Um, Andreas
0: is signaling to me that we're running out of time, no. so we're not going to take the whole Norwegian debate, but <laughs> no, let's hear uh, Daniel's uh, final take on this.
2: No, I don't I, don't, <laughs> I don't... I mean, just listening to what you're both saying tonight makes me think I know less about this than I <laughs> thought I did, because we use these terms, and I'm not... I'm not sure what it means to be truthful in a novel versus truthful in a work of nonfiction, truthful in a history book versus truthful in a historical novel. What what is the pact that is being made with the reader? I think has to be, to some extent, a factor. Yes, absolutely. in this. So if you're saying, "Oh, this is the autobiography of you know Ingmar Bergman," then you go into it assuming certain things, you know, or you see what I mean? so I I have a friend, Laura Miller, who's a critic in New York. And actually, I've never been able to tell this story in Scandinavia. Now I can. (laughs) We decided we wanted to get rich by writing one of those Scandinavian thrillers. (laughs) (laughs) And we sat down at a coffee shop once. This is before I ever came to Scandinavia. And... We said, okay we're going to write this novel because all you have to do is read these, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo or whatever. And we started and we were like, you know, Olaf was walking down the snowy streets of... uh, And I thought, why not? You know, who would know the difference? Scandinavians. But I want the whole world market and they don't know better, right? So, you know, it did make me think of like, what is the obligation? It's hard enough to define the truth, as we just agreed. And so how hard is it to... What is one's obligation to the truth in different genres? That's an open-ended question. I don't know... I feel less sure of the answer than I did an hour ago. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, good. It's a good, no, that's to a good thing. Okay. That's a good place to end, because then you have to come back in a year or so, and we'll have... Uh, with we'll my
2: can- best-selling, thriller best-selling
0: thriller. <laughs> with your best-selling
2: thriller. With Olaf.
0: <laughs> <laughs> with Olaf as the protagonist. Walking down
2: the snowy street. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we'll dissect that uh, <laughs> no, so uh, sure best yeah. here on stage, and we'll find out more about truth in literature of all kinds. Uh, Thank you so much, Daniel Lin. Thank Thank you you to the audience for coming.
3: Thank
0: you, You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our website. The music is by Apotheke.